So I'm going to use a PowerPoint um, throughout for this whole, well, not really a message so much, but a, uh, just a, a time of um, renewal, reflection, I suppose, and also to share what um, is happening with sowers. Most many of you won't even know about sowers. You've never heard of it before as a mission, and so I'll be introducing something of uh, what we are what we are about in the PowerPoint as we go along. This is May Mission Month, isn't it? The Baptist Union. And um, it's a time when churches concentrate on um, bringing missionaries in and and, uh, thinking about overseas missions for um, uh, the support of the missions and for uh, prayer for them as well. But I want to, um, first of all, just uh, talk a little bit about mission and then we'll talk about sowers. So, the first slide is a bit of a questionnaire. Alright? What is mission? This is speaking overall, not as missionaries going overseas so much, but as a mission in, in, in the general sense, what is mission? Get people to join our church? Help people live better lives? Civilise the heathen? Care for the needy? Bring people to Christ? So, what would your answer be to that? Bring people to Christ? Okay. Just waiting for our IT guys on the back to look at me. We have to signal to them to tell them when it's going to change the slides. Oh, good. No, no. That's the tick. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. All those other things and many others are part and parcel of mission, isn't it? What's the primary purpose of mission? It is to win people to Christ. And we will help the needy as necessary. We will seek to help people live better lives and so on. That's all part and parcel of mission, but that only happens when we are giving people to Christ and seeing their lives change. So that's the basic and the most, um, well, the priority of mission. Now, the second one is, why mission? Okay? People are living in darkness. And you see this uh, African witch doctor there, then out in his regalia, and uh, you know, there was a time when people would say, you know, oh, He's gone to darkest Africa. We're talking about the dark continent in Africa. But you know, darkness is all over the world. It's not just in Africa. You see lots of things happen in Africa that you don't see happen here. 
is to say that's really that. There's no darkness is not necessarily looking at something physical like and the sun isn't shining and it's night. Darkness in scripture is talking about a person, it's a metaphor for a person who is spiritually, morally, personally, eternally in darkness. They are spiritually dead, morally corrupt, personally flawed, and eternally lost. That's what we're talking about when we meet in darkness. It covers the whole of every person's personality and person. Now, we can see this as we look around. We see people who are spiritually dead around us, morally corrupt all around us, personally flawed, yeah, all around us, eternally lost, indeed. We only got to look at our TVs as, and, and um, listen to radio or even be observant, we can see how these things are evidence around us. And uh, it worries us so much, those of us who know the Lord. So we can see these people and they're, they're just lost. Now, darkness blinds, isn't it? John talks about being blinded by the darkness. And in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18, we there, Paul says that uh, you were once darkness, now you are light. He's saying that the, the Ephesians were living in that area of darkness, in that spiritual um, deadness, in that moral corruptness, in that personally flawed position, and that eternally lost. So, yeah, I, I get so amazed sometimes that we have intelligent people, bright, bright people, who are coming out with some weird and wonderful things. So, I mean, this gender issue, for instance, you think of how, how come intelligent people say, and say well, what is woman? What is man? I mean, it's obvious. We know what a woman is. We know what a man is. How can people who have got professors in universities and so on and so forth asking those sort of questions? You just wonder. It's all part and parcel of the darkness. The Bible says that the understanding has been darkened by the ignorance And we've got many people who are ignorant around us in so many ways. And there are many people who don't want to hear the gospel. They want to know that there's light that can free them and set them free from their darkness. And this is the position that people are in. I mean, I've been talking to people recently, close relative in the UK. She says, Oh, I believe in God, but I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. 
right? That's good. But to try and have a discussion with her, try and show her that that's, you know, Jesus is the Son of God, she won't have anything of it. She avoids it all the time. Why? She wants to remain in the darkness. People, a friend of mine who I play trains with, he's got a huge model railway outlet, uh, layout, but I go around there and he, he has uh, a lot of fellowship with other men as well. And he um, was sitting having uh, lunch one time, and, and we, his wife and I, and he said, Oh, I said, I love the other piece you've got. I said, You can. What you have to do is trust Jesus as your saviour. Ask him to your life to be your, your saviour. And he said, oh no, no, I can't do that. Darkness of ignorance. Darkness of willful blindness. People going nowhere. People who are blind in the fact that they don't have any purpose in their life. And these of you are all around us. Are your next door neighbour? You check out in, in the supermarket. This is why mission. Also, we look at the another reason why mission, and we see that people are fearing. Fear is a a, a big thing in um, people's lives. Fearing death is a main fear. Uh, many people have, they fear death. Um, Hebrews 2.15 says, who, talking about general people in general, who all their lifetime were subject to the fear of death. All their lifetime, subject to the fear of death. Darkness dominates, is dominating, but fear is debilitating. It can rob us of our purpose, our, our life in actual fact, and our enjoyment of life. The fear of present circumstances. Many people are fearing what may happen in the future in their, in their, in their present circumstances. I mean, things like cancer, like family breakup, like children going off the rails. Many things that can come in and bring fear. There's a fear of the future. What does the future hold? When we look at, again, if you look at the TV and radio and the hear these things, they say, what's going to happen? What's the future going to hold? And I've got one person who, who cries almost every time I meet him to say, what are my grandchildren going to do in the future? He's fearing for his grandchildren. The fear can be so debilitating. And then there's slavery. Slavery to sin. Jesus himself said, he who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave of sin. And the Bible says we have all sinned. So we're all under the slavery of sin. And of course, there's a penalty for that. We know the penalty is 
as it's put it out in Romans 6.23, wages of sin is death. So slavery brings death. Slavery brings damnation or damning. Slavery, is sin. slavery to sin is damning. So look at these things and say, wow, is there any hope? Well, praise God, you know there's hope, don't you? Why? Because you found the light. You found freedom from fear. When Jesus says love, cast out all fear. And you found freedom from slavery because the Bible says as we look at the gospel in it that we've been redeemed. But let's look at what the gospel brings. The gospel, of course, is the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the dead. That's what Paul calls the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 2 and 3. That's the gospel. And if you look at the first uh, six verses of, of Romans, it's a very clear outline of what the gospel is there. The gospel is all about who? Who's the gospel about? Jesus, yes. Oh, you're not very enthusiastic this morning. Jesus, yes. He is the gospel. And we can have our you know, ways by which we use the scriptures to show them their need and the fact that Jesus is the answer. But he is the answer. He is the answer. He brings us light in the darkness. He says, I am the light of the world. No one walks in darkness within the light. Paul says, again in Ephesians 14, he says, once you were in darkness, but now you are light. Light. What does light do to darkness? Darkness really is just the absence of light. That's all darkness is. So when there's no light, there's darkness. When the light comes, the darkness is dissipated and it's gone. Jesus is Love. First John says that, what is it? That, that, he, that um, God is love. And he says, perfect love casts out all fear. And as part of that, he talks about the fact that, that the love of God is not that we say we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's marvelous. So there's no fear in love. And then Jesus brings liberty. Liberty from the slavery to sin. When you are set free, you are free indeed, Jesus said. And what sets us free? He says the truth will set you free. 
So you rejoice in these things. But if the gospels, marvelous gospel, the grace of God, is not communicated, Jamie Phillips says it remains a frozen asset. So we communicate it. So how is that being done? How do we do that? Well, there are many ways, of course. But ultimately, the, the, the two ways by which we communicate the gospel is by our life. We are to live as lights in the world. That means that we are to live, as the Bible says, in goodness and in righteousness. Doing the things that we know that God wants us to do, to be living God-like lives, and that is being a light to our neighbours, to our workmen, people, our fellow students, to others that we are mixing with. Be our lights in that way. And there's a quotation from Billy Graham. He says, We're not all gifted as evangelists, but we are all called to share the gospel. All called to share the gospel. Now, you know, that's easy to be said. That's easier said than done. I mean, how many of you here have trouble talking about the gospel to, to, to neighbours and friends? Sure, we all do. Why? I think there are a few things we can look at. Three things at least, anyway. One, we fear what people will think of us. Is that right? I know it's been right for me. Fear what people might think of me if I talk to them about the gospel. Or we have a fear of not saying the right thing. I might say the wrong thing. And, you know, or not knowing what to say to get the conversation started. That's one of my biggest problems. Just knowing how to get things started to be able to, to discuss you know, the gospel. I've got a neighbour who he's uh, a bit older than I am and uh, we've become very good friends. Um, he's a Catholic, in name only, really. But I've tried many times to share the gospel with him. But I've been uh, concerned that he's getting on, he's having issues with health and so on and so forth. And I thought, I've got to just make that effort to really challenge him about the gospel. To try and get that into the conversation. It's very, very difficult. And I haven't yet done it, but I do intend to do it. Um, but these are things that happen. And these are normal, natural things. But then, let's look at motives for permission. Compassion. Jesus saw the crowd. And he had compassion on them. For they were scattered, they were um, hindered, they were helpless, he says, harassed and helpless. And like sheep, no shepherd. 
That's an example for us to have compassion. As we see the people around us, as you see the darkness, as you see the fear, and as you see the slavery, the sin all around us, and we see people's lives that are being, being wrecked and going the wrong way, what do you feel? Do you feel compassion? Jesus did. This is one reason for us to be more aware of people and their need of the Lord Jesus. Now we don't just get out there and hammer them with the gospel. We will, with our lives, first of all, share the gospel. We'll find ways and means to be able to help them to make contact with them and then to be able to ease the gospel in to that conversation. Confidence. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to all who believe. Now this is the conviction. I'm not ashamed, he says, of the gospel. Other occasions he says that I am convinced because he had a marvellous experience. He met Jesus in person on the road to Damascus. You may not have had, or will have, ever a great experience like that. We all have had experience of Jesus. And the thing is this, that we need to be assured of our own salvation, convicted and convinced that we are saved, that we are on the way to heaven. And we have, that we have a testimony. We will share with people. If you haven't got a testimony, you're not a Christian. Everyone who's a Christian has a testimony of how you found Christ as your Saviour and how Christ is living in you, how he's helping you today. So we need to have that conviction. Motive for evangelism is the conviction that God gives us. Conviction that these people are lost. Conviction that we have the truth to give them. In this constraint, Paul says in Second uh, Corinthians chapter five and verse fourteen, he says, um, "I am constrained by the love of Christ. For one died, for all; therefore, all died." He says, "The love of Christ. We think of what God has done in Christ, His grace and wonderful love for me, for you." It, it, it's a motivation for us to share that love with others. But also, as we are aware of what he's done in us and for us, how can you keep good news to yourself? If you won the lottery, I hope you don't. <laughs> if you did, what would you do? Well, as a Christian, if I do nothing. <laughs> but my Hypothetically, those that win the lottery, what do they want to do? They want to tell everybody. Well, some would. If something good happens, you want to share it. A little baby coming into the family, I share it. It's good news. And then, the coming of the Lord. Who believes that the coming of the Lord is close? Well, there's plenty of signs to say 
that Jesus is coming very soon. What's that mean then? That means the task for people to receive the gospel is going to be so much less available to them. And then you think of the people, your family, your friends, your neighbours. If, you, if you, Jesus had come tonight, they wouldn't even get with you. They'd be left behind. If they did not know Jesus as their saviour. Doesn't that make you want to tell them? They can be with you so that they can also be raised together and be with Christ in heaven. See, that's me. I'm aware that there's one more motivation which I haven't mentioned and I'll come to that in a moment because as you're aware we had that as our first meeting that Esther gave us. But in First Thessalonians chapter 1 we have this model church and we as individuals are to be sharing the gospel. As a church we also have to be sharing the gospel. And verse 8 says, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Archaea, your faith in God has become known where? Everywhere. They didn't need to be told. They saw their testimony. They turned from idols and turned to the living and true God. Their testimony. They were hard workers. They talked about the labour of love. And they're expecting coming again of the Lord. This is a model church. Now, I want to ask you a question. This is as a church, not as individuals, but individuals make up the church. Is the gospel ringing out from this church into Preston's, Liverpool? Is it? Well, that's what God wants. That's the mark of a model church. Now we come to this our probably most well known challenge or motivation. The gospel of Christ commands, command calls the church. And the, the Great Commission is to the church. Go, take the gospel to people where they are. That's simple, isn't it? That's clear. That means that people who are missionaries are going out to take the gospel to people where they are. That means that you at home are taking the gospel out to neighbour, to workplace, to school where the people are. But how can this be done effectively? Well, this can be done effectively as we ourselves begin to grow in the Lord and as we know more, as we become more motivated and more um, willing to go and, and share the gospel. But now we're moving into uh, our mission Sowers. And look at how can this be done effectively? 
So it's international. Helping the church to go, to sow and to grow. Now, this is only one mission to do in all the whole world. There are many hundreds of missions and they are working to do this very same thing. And may, most, well, so all those missions have their effectiveness. I'm not saying that souls is the only mission that's effective. No, 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 no. Souls is a very effective mission in reaching that primary goal of mission, winning people to Jesus Christ. Because that's all we do. So we do it through a program called the Souls Program. This provides the church with tools for evangelism. We train the church how to lead a person to Christ, how to preach in the open air, how to be able to counsel, how to be able to do basic follow-up of those new converts. We teach them these things. And then we train national Christians to go out into the open air with the gospel. They take the message from the church out into the open air and they teach there and they lead people to Christ. And the church equips so as to teach others how to communicate the gospel. So here it becomes a self-propagating program in the, set in the fact that those that are trained in how to be a team member, be a person on the team to preach the open air, they can learn how to teach that very program and so it continues on in that church or denomination. The souls acquire skills in inexpensive visual methods of evangelism. And there's an opening meeting with the sketchboard and uh, a preacher there working on the sketchboard and the people around listening. Local people hear and see in ways they can understand. Well, I've had many occasions where I've preached in open air and I've used local language. I can't speak it, but I write it. And I've got, underneath the letters I've got to write what they are so I don't forget to put them in properly. And they say, how can you, how, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you do that? How can you speak that language? Well, I don't speak any language, any um, happy language, because our work was in, is involved, as I said, in six countries. So we're moving around all the time. Two weeks here, two weeks there, and sometimes two weeks in, the, in, the, in one language, two weeks in another language, and so on and so forth. So never in any way long enough to be able to learn the language properly. We need to know greetings like um, Bulibanji, uh, and so on. Uh, um, different expressions that we might use, like how do you sleep, how are you, so on. And um, that's about the past we've got. But the thing is that they can see and hear in the local language and they then uh, able to understand. This is done by teaching seminars. We teach them the principles, then we take them out and give them the practice and they they have to put into practice what they have been learning and then the council, they counsel them afterwards and then the discipling takes place of course on a long term basis. We have a counselling course which we 
have appeared to be able to give to new converts so they are not lost to the gospel. Well, this is just allowing the, place, the countries that we're in Australia, our board in Australia, are um, looking after. And uh, uh, Pastor Paul is on our board. He's a founding member of our board. And we appreciate Paul. He's been a very, very great um, asset to the size board. And we also have Elizabeth already over there, who is our treasurer on our board. So it's great to have you with us, Elizabeth. Now, um, since we left Africa, um, there have been developments taking place there um, to fulfil what I couldn't do. And so we have uh, got some new leaders. Oh, uh, I'll have the S on that uh, leaders there. Anyone? Um, Godfrey is uh, the Central African um, uh, regional advisor and Emmanuel is the East Africa regional advisor. And these guys have done a great job. They, they have taken over from my role where I was involved in the, in the whole thing, Christian and I, and it's been split up into two parts and um, these guys are just magnificent in what they're doing. Over the COVID period they couldn't do very much uh, in terms of going out and doing ministry or training up churches but they were doing other things and we had times with them. I am their mentor here in Australia. I bring them once a week, talk to them and they ring me if they need help and advice in other areas. So these two guys are backbone of our work in Africa at the moment. And then all countries are self-governed. In other words, every country has got its own national board so they can be able to control the work, they're the ones that give guidance to the work and um, they're there to, to support the work. And so each country has got its own national board. This is the Zimbabwe board you see there. Um, uh, these are around the table. In this situation, uh, we had to move into another room. But um, they're great people. And then um, we've got um, uh, many teams that are happening right now. I've been talking to these guys just in this last week about different things and finding out what's happening. We used to have a, a, a um, statistics where we would have statistics for these, these countries on how many people hear the gospel, how many people have come to the Lord uh, and so on. But that's now not happening because I'm not there. But uh, anyway, there are many teams being trained to be able to um, go out and preach the gospel. You see there, uh, the teaching and then the workshop where they learn how to do the sketchboard with paint and paper. Uh, and then many opening meetings are being conducted. And these are recent pictures, happened only in the last uh, few months. And then many people are being saved, have been saved. Every opening meeting we conduct, there are people who get saved, people who get counselled and they turn to the Lord. And there are many testimonies of how people have come to the Lord and turned their lives over and they become completely different. The prostitutes, priest doctors, headmen of villages, ordinary people, drunkards, you name it. There are people who have turned to the Lord 
You know, people who are into, into um, witchcraft and that sort of thing, and they've, they've literally gone, and they've, once they've come to the Lord, they've gone, they've picked up their, all their, their paraphernalia that they use, and they've put it on a bonfire and burnt it. Demonstrate the fact that that's now past. That it's no longer part of their lives. Wonderful things. And of course, baptisms. Oh, how many baptisms are happening? It's just so fantastic. That will lead to many churches being planted. But I'm staggered. I am staggered. I got an email this morning. I've been asking the guys, tell me, how many churches have been planted in the last 12 months through the Sowers program? And up to yesterday, there were 42 churches planted. This morning, Stephen from the Liverpool province in Zambia tells me that they have planted 52 new churches in 12 months. That's basically 94 new churches. 94! And on average, there will be about 60 people in each congregation. And I consider that to be amazing. And you only say, God be the glory. Great things he has done. Not me, not these team members. It's God who gives the increase. And we just praise him for that. So thank you. You're a wonderful and faithful church. And Solis appreciates very much your uh, continuing um, support of us in the work that uh, we are doing. And it's just such a wonderful thing. Um, on the back there's a table. Uh, back there's got a few things on it. I've got my, my newsletter, which does highlight uh, stories from Africa. Some people, some of the means uh, that are leading people to Christ and other issues there. And then there's our, our prayer uh, targets. We call it targets for prayer. It's a three monthly prayer target. If you want that, you can take that in the back there too. That's the current one. And um, there's also a uh, form there if you wanted to have it regularly sent to you. You can please put your name and post address or email address and which one of these you would like to have on a regular basis. I don't know, um, we send them to the church, uh, to Paul. I'm not sure whether he prints them out and makes them available, does he? Okay, you won't need that. No, it's okay. That's fine. That's great. Now, just one more thing that's there, and this is coming back to the first part of my talk. There's eight easy ways to easily be missional. That means to be and seek opportunities for mission, for talking about the Lord. Some of the things like eat non-Christians, walk, don't drive, be a regular, instead of hopping all over the city for gas, be a regular at different stores and places like that. Anyway, you can take one of these and if you are interested in knowing some more ways about being able to be missional, the experience. I just believe that most of you here are Christians, although perhaps there are some here who may not be. And you've heard about what? That you're in darkness. 
that you are the saviour of sin, that Jesus sets you free. Jesus loves you and wants you to know him and know the life he can give you and the hope of having your eternal home in heaven. If you don't know Jesus, then please come and see me afterwards. I'd love to share with you how you can enter that wonderful, wonderful knowledge of the grace and love of our God and our Father. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. And I pray, God, you just take these thoughts and these words. Help us, Lord, each one to be challenged to think more about the people around us in the need of Jesus. We get so wrapped up in our own things, so busy doing our own business that we can forget so much that people around us need you. And we are your lights. And we're not to let our light be hidden under a bushel. We set a light upon the hill. So it's visible to all. If we're not to be ashamed of the gospel, for indeed it is the power of God and salvation for all who believe. We thank you, Father. It is in God so may this be a church where the gospel ring out through everywhere around that there will be none for its life, its love. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.